0: Section five of the Three Commanders. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kristen Hand. The Three Commanders by William Henry Giles Kingston. Chapter four. Part two. While the men were carrying out his orders, the old Arab captain who had been left at liberty came up to him and made signs that there was some object of great value in the hold which he was anxious to recover. In his eagerness, as with half-bent body he stretched out his hands, he seized Adair by the beard, tears actually running down his eyes. "'Can he have his wife or children stowed away anywhere?' suggested Desmond. "'It may be, but we must not let them be burned at all events,' said Adair. "'Well, old fellow, go and bring them up,' he added, making a significant gesture." The Arab, however, did not comprehend him, and at length, pulling out a piece of gold, he made signs that he had a box or bag full of such pieces stowed away. "'Faith, it's myself will go and help you hunt for them,' cried Desmond, about to accompany the old Arab, who was hurrying below. "'Stay,' exclaimed Adair. "'There is not a moment to spare. See, the canoes are coming off, and we shall be surrounded presently. I suspect it is only a trick, after all, that he may induce us to remain till the tables are turned.' Here tumbled the old fellow into the boat, and set the dhow on fire, fore and aft. While the men obeyed this order, Archie and Gerald, who had been lighting some bundles of tow, threw one of them down forward among the other combustible materials, while another was placed aft, and another, still larger, which Desmond ignited, was let drop into the hold. A thick smoke followed by flames immediately burst forth, showing that the craft had been effectually set on fire. A good-sized canoe was floating alongside the dhow, we will have her, said Desmond, make her fast astern. She'll assist us in landing the prisoners, and be useful afterwards. A whole fleet of canoes, full of shrieking savages, was now coming off towards the down. Give em a shot from the six-pounder, said Adair, putting the boat's head round. It will teach them that they had better not follow us. The missile went flying over the water, just ahead of the canoes. It appeared to have had the desired effect, for some ceased paddling, and others went back as fast as they could make way towards the shore. While the pinnace with the canoe in tow proceeded down the harbour. Night had now come on, the flames which rose from every portion of the burning dhow, their glare extending down the river and casting a ruddy light against the tall trees on either side, enabled them without difficulty to make their way towards the ocean. The cutthroat looking Arabs, with their venerable captain, appeared to be very uneasy in their minds, not knowing what was to be done with them, perhaps supposing that their captors were carrying them out to sea to drown in deep water. They were evidently much relieved when, a point some little way down the river being reached, Adair intimated to them that they were forthwith to be put on shore. As many as the canoe would hold were tumbled into her, and they, being quickly landed, she returned for another cargo. The old skipper was last. As he gazed at his burning vessel, he wrung his hands, mourning his hard fate. "'Very hard for you,' observed Archie, "'but it would have been harder for the unfortunate blacks you would have carried off into slavery.' During this time, the natives, gaining courage, were coming down the river in vast numbers, beating their tom-toms and shouting and shrieking. They could be easily beaten off, provided they were not allowed to get too near, but Adair had no wish to shed blood, and therefore, having completely destroyed the dhow and got rid of the prisoners, he stood on down the river. The bar was fortunately as smooth as when they entered, and running out, the pinnace with the captured canoe was soon in the open sea. The latter was light enough to take on board should bad weather come on, But as she would inconveniently occupy much space, she was allowed, while the sea remained calm, to tow astern. "'Well, we've done something,' said Desmond, as the boat, having got a good offing, all hands were piped to supper. "'I only wish we got hold of that box of gold.' "'I very much doubt the existence of the box of gold,' said Adair. "'The object of the old Arab was to delay us till his friends could come to his assistance and cut our throats. However, if I am right, he acted his part to admiration.' The pinnace continued her cruise. Happily, the weather remained fine, and no one had to complain of hardship, though all hands would have been glad to get a run on shore, instead of being cramped up day after day in the boat. As their water was, however, running short, they at length stood into a small bay which offered a safe landing-place. The canoe was found very useful in conveying them on shore, while the pinnace brought up a short distance from the beach. Several natives came down, who appeared friendly, and showed Adair and Desmond, who had landed, a spring of water where the casks could, without difficulty, be filled and rolled down to the canoe. While four of the men remained in the boat with Archie, the rest brought casks ashore, and all went on well. A supply of water was taken on board, and trifling presents, as an acknowledgment of the services they had rendered, given to those who appeared to be the leading men among the natives. Hands were shaken, and the party embarked we must mark this spot observed adair as they once more made sail the natives appear to be good sort of fellows and we'll pay them another visit on our way northward the balmy weather which had hitherto prevailed was not to continue the southwest monsoon had begun to blow and the sea got up washing over the bows and flying deck and giving ample occupation to all hands in bailing out the water as fast as it broke on board it was impossible to spread the usual awning down over the boat in ordinary rainy weather or when at anchor as it would have been blown away in an instant, and all that could be done was to keep her jogging on under close-reefed sails. It was somewhat trying work, as the fire could not be lighted to cook, and the party had therefore to subsist on raw salt pork and biscuit, washed down with cold grog. Everyone, of course, was wet to the skin, but when the sun again burst forth, their clothes were speedily dried. The boat behaved admirably, rising of the seas like a duck. Two days the gale lasted, and then the weather again cleared. "'If we get any more downpours, I don't intend to let my clothes get wet,' said Desmond. "'How are you going to prevent that?' asked Archie. "'Why, by stowing them away in the locker and jumping overboard,' answered Desmond. "'It's the wisest plan. Depend on it. That's the way the nigger boatman managed in the West Indies, and it will answer here just as well.' "'Not if it is blowing hard, as it has just been doing,' said Archie. "'No,' replied Gerald, "'but if it's tolerably calm, we can easily get on board again when the rain is over.' Adair, who had heard of the plan being adopted by other boats' crews, had no objection, and the next day, when the clouds again gathered and sent down a deluge, such as only falls in the tropics, all hands, with the exception of two, who remained to take care of the boat, stripped off their clothes and jumped overboard, swimming about and amusing themselves till the rain was over. They did the same a half dozen times during the day, whenever a torrent descended from the clouds, and then again, clambering on board, after rubbing themselves over, put on their dry garments." The only wonder was that no one was carried off by a shark, but probably, as they were splashing about and making a loud noise all the time they were in the water, the savage monsters were kept at a distance. The weather again permanently cleared up. Several dhows were chased and overtaken. The first they boarded had, in addition to her brown-skinned Arab crew, an equal number of black seamen, who were pulling and hauling and making themselves very busy. While she also had a large party of black passengers who sat ranged around the deck, mute as statues, dressed up in Arab costume, each man having with him two or three wives and several children. The captain, or Nagoda, as he was called by the Arabs, met Adair with a smiling countenance as he stepped on board, and expressed himself in choice Arabic as highly delighted to see the English officer. "'Well, my friend, who are all those black fellows there?' asked Adair, pointing to the Negroes, who were jumping about and tumbling over each other as they ran from side to side. The Nagoda, or skipper, made signs as if hauling on a rope. "'Oh, they are your crew, are they?' said Adair, on which the skipper nodded his head as if he had really understood the question. "'And who are those ladies and gentlemen seated so comfortably on the deck?' continued Adair. The skipper signified that they were coming from some place in the south, and bound to Mozambique or Zanzibar to join their relatives. He did this by pronouncing the names of those places, talking away all the time, and in transferring a piece of money from one hand to the other, as if to show that they had paid their passages. Now let me see your papers, said Adair, moving his hand as if holding a pen and writing. The Arabs, being accustomed to signs, the Nagoda at once understood him and produced from a case some documents written in Arabic characters were about as comprehensible to the English officer as the words which the voluble skipper was pouring forth into his ear. The papers might be, for what he could tell, bills of sale for the Negroes on board, or directions to the skipper how to avoid the english boats and cruisers with the hint should he find himself strong enough to knock every briton he could fall in with on the head adair it is true had his suspicions that all was not right but how to ascertain this was the question pango who knew the true state of the case was evidently very much troubled in his mind on the subject but in vain he tried to explain his ideas while he sat in the boat wriggling and twisting his body and making such extraordinary grimaces as he tried to get out his words that the rest of the crew burst into fits of laughter which effectually prevented him from giving the information he possessed had hamed come in the boat the case would have been different and adair resolved if possible not to go cruising again without the interpreter the skipper had no objection to his examining the vessel though he seemed highly pleased on seeing his visitors about to take their departure he and several of his crew shook them warmly by the hands and showed an especial eagerness to assist them into the boat As the dhow stood away to the northward, both Gerald and Archie declared that they heard shouts of laughter proceeding from him, but Adair was of opinion that the Arabs were not wont to indulge in such exhibitions of hilarity, though he had very strong suspicions that he had been humbugged. The southern limits he had designed for the cruise having been reached, Adair put the boat's head to the northward, intending as before to search all the inlets and creeks, for although no birds had been entrapped on their previous visit, some might be caught on a second, He was half inclined to suppose that the slave trade could not be carried on to the extent which was reported, for so many of the dhows boarded had no slaves or fittings for the reception of slaves, while others were carrying only black passengers, seized with the desire apparently to see the world. Adair was sorely puzzled. I wish we had brought Hamed with us, he repeated for the twentieth time. He would have cleared up the difficulty and enabled us to obtain more information than we are likely now to pick up as they were again in want of water by the time they came off the pretty little village where they had before been received in so friendly a manner he determined to pay it another visit the pinnace was a quarterling steered into the bay and anchored a short distance from the shore adair and desmond landed in the canoe accompanied by two men and as many breakers as she could carry while the two men paddled back for more he and his nephew walked up to the village The primitive-looking palm-leaved thatched huts were picturesquely situated an eighth of a mile or so from the beach, under the shade of a grove of lofty coconut trees. The chief man with a party of his followers came out to meet them, and invited them into their principal hut, used apparently as a guest house. The chief made signs that the women were preparing food, and begged their guests to rest till it was ready. Adair was inclined to accept the invitation, "'There seem to be a good many of the fellows collected, considering the size of the village, and I see that they are all armed,' observed Desmond. "'The chief, too, is evidently mighty eager for us to go into the hut. "'They may be very honest, but they may mean mischief.' "'I am inclined to agree with you,' answered Adair. "'We must be on our guard at all events, though I don't suppose they will venture to commit any act of violence.' He accordingly, when the chief again pressed him to enter the hut, made signs that he was in a hurry and could not accept his hospitality.' He and Desmond, however, stood talking, or rather exchanging pantomimic gestures with the chief for some time, while the men were engaged with filling the casks and carrying them back to the boat. Desmond, who had returned a short distance towards the shore to a spot whence he saw that the canoe was shoving off with her last cargo, on turning back to tell his uncle, what was his dismay to see a dozen savages throw themselves upon him, and, seizing his arms, hold him in a way which prevented him from offering the slightest resistance. Desmond, who had on his sword as well as a rifle in his hand, was rushing back to render what help he could, regardless of the danger he ran, when another party of the natives, concealed behind the trees, suddenly sprang out upon him, and before he saw them they had seized him and thrown him down on the ground. He struggled to free himself, as every Irishman would do, especially an Irish midshipman, but in vain. Some seized his legs, and others his arms, while one of the party threw a piece of cloth round his mouth to prevent him from crying out. He managed to get that off, however, and shouted at the top of his voice, in the hopes that the men in the canoe would hear him. Finding that all attempts to escape were hopeless, he submitted with as good a grace as he could, and was placed by his captors on his feet. Adair was, in the meantime, trying to make the chief say why he had committed the outrage, and threatening him with the vengeance of Her Majesty's fleet in those seas, if he and the midshipmen were not immediately released. The chief might possibly not have understood a word, he said. At all events, he was not moved by his threats. "'Now, you scoundrel, what do you intend to do with us?' asked Adair. The chief seemed to understand the question, possibly from the tone in which it was put, and, pointing his musket first towards him, and then at Desmond, gave him to understand, by a sign not to be mistaken, that he intended to shoot them both. Things were now, indeed, becoming serious. They were just out of sight of the boat, and it was a question whether the men in the canoe had heard Desmond's shouts. If not, probably more of the men would come on shore to look for them and would, to a certainty, be made prisoner and, in all likelihood, murdered. What is to be done? asked Desmond. I'll give another shout, even though the rascals may gag me for doing so. After remaining perfectly quiet and apparently resigned to his fate, raising his voice to the highest pitch, he shouted out, Help! Help! He had only time to utter these words when a big negro standing near him clapped his hand before his mouth and effectually prevented him from uttering another sound. "'Never fear, Desmond,' said Adair. "'I think they must have heard that shout, and Gordon will to a certainty suspect what has happened to us.' While a number of negroes collected round their captives, regarding them with savage looks, the chief and some of his principal men assembled to hold a consultation as to what was to be done with them. An immense amount of jabbering took place, and Desmond, who was closest to the circle of counsellors, looked anxiously at their countenances to ascertain, if possible, what decision was likely to be arrived at. He gazed in vain. Nothing could he learn from the expression of the hideous faces of those who might at any moment determine to shoot him and his uncle. It's all owing to not having Hamed with us, signed Adair, or even had we brought Pango on shore, he would probably have suspected the old rascal of a chief and warned us in time. But cheer up, Desmond. I don't think the black villains will dare to kill us. "'I'll try and make them understand that if they do, "'a terrible vengeance will be wreaked upon their heads.' "'That won't help us out of the scrape, I'm afraid,' said Desmond, "'but they are getting on their feet, and I suppose we shall soon know.' "'In a short time, the chief and his advisers, "'having come to a resolution what to do, approached their prisoners, "'and with very little ceremony, seizing them by their collars, two on each side of them, dragged them along towards the beach "'till they reached a couple of trees, whence the boat was clearly visible.' The canoe had returned on board, and Adair observed that the men had got out their arms and were pulling her in towards the shore, while Jerry Bird, who acted as gunner, was standing on the forecastle, busy apparently in loading the gun mounted on it, the greater portion of which was, however, covered up with a piece of tarpaulin, so that the natives might not discover what was there. The rest of the crew, not pulling, had their muskets in their hands, ready for use. All this was seen at a glance. Directly they arrived at the two trees. The savages, without further ceremony, bound Adair to one and Desmond to the other, facing the boat, while the chief and several of his followers, who were armed with muskets, leveled them at their heads. "'My faith, we're in an unpleasant position,' exclaimed Desmond. "'Sure the fellows can't be after blowing our brains out.' "'They most certainly will, if Archie ventures to open fire on them, but I don't think he'll do that while we're alive,' answered Adair. "'Had Hamed been with us, we could have learned what they want.' As it is, I'm afraid that there is as little hope of our understanding them as there is of their making out what we say. However, I'll try. Though Adair was lashed to the tree, his arms were left at liberty, and beckoning to the chief, he tried to make him signify what it was he wanted. At length, he seemed to understand Adair's question, and going through the action of rolling a cask down the beach, he put on an angry look, and then, holding his musket and a piece of cloth in his hand, he showed that he wanted those articles in payment for the water carried off the rascal exclaimed adair however it's better to pay them than run the risk of being shot And shouting to archie he directed him to send two of his men on shore with the articles demanded there fortunately being still a supply of cloth on board which had been brought for bartering with the natives let the small-armed men cover the men while they are landing he again shouted and let them leave the things on the beach and take good care that the natives don't seize them archie heard the order and soon afterwards the canoe came towards the beach bringing an old musket and a few yards of calico the chief eager to possess himself of the treasures hurried down to the water while the men in the canoe as directed paddled back to the boat when the chief had got possession of them he like pharaoh hardened his heart and refused to liberate his captives insisting on having a further ransom adair was very much inclined to refuse and shook his head to show that he would pay no more on this the chief levelled his musket with significant gestures showing that he intended to persist in his demand "'We must yield to the fellow,' said Adair. "'It would be folly to run the risk of being shot for the sake of maintaining our dignity.' "'I don't think that musket would be after shooting us,' observed Desmond, with perfect calmness. "'Why so?' asked Adair. "'Because it happens not to have a lock,' answered Gerald, and as far as I can see, it is the best of the lot. "'So far that is satisfactory,' said Adair, "'as the fellows can't injure those in the boat.' But notwithstanding that they may give us club law or run their daggers into us, so it wouldn't do to try them too much. Adair asked the chief what he wanted in addition to the things he had received, but he could not make out the meaning of the old fellow's reply. He therefore directed Archie to send some large rings and beads and a few other articles used to trade with the natives. On these being received, the chief seemed tolerably well satisfied and ordered his men to release the prisoners, putting out his hand as if he acted in no extraordinary manner, and wished to part good friends adair not to be outdone shook his hand and taking him by the arm walked with him slowly down towards the beach stick close to his other side desmond he said i'm going to play the old fellow a trick he little thinks of the chief seemed to have no suspicions of adair's design and was evidently anxious to do away with the effect his conduct had produced when they had got about halfway to the beach however on finding himself at some distance from his followers he stopped when adair suddenly pulling out a pistol from his pocket which the natives had not discovered held it to the old fellow's head and made him understand that he would shoot him through the brain if he refused to come on to the canoe or if any of his people approached to his assistance archie seeing what had occurred had sent in the canoe which had just reached the beach with a couple of hands he had likewise brought the gun to bear on the mass of natives who stood very much astonished at the sudden change of circumstances Some away from the water, the old chief, fully believing that the English officer would put his threat into execution, sang out to his followers to keep quiet, and not to attempt to rescue him. "'Come along, old fellow, come along,' cried Desmond, hauling away at the arm of the reluctant chief, who had, by the by, fastened Adair's sword-belt round his waist. The old man, who exhibited but little heroism on the occasion, trembling in every limb, turned an imploring glance at the lieutenant to entreat him not to pull the fatal trigger now desmond cried adair trip him up by the heels as soon as we get to the canoe and we'll give him a lesson neither he nor his followers will forget in a hurry the two men in the canoe guessing what their officers intended kept her afloat and adair and desmond with a sudden jerk running the old chief into the water the latter tripped up his heels and before he knew where he was he was hauled on board and stowed away in the bottom shove off cried adair as he and desmond sprang into the stern and the next instant they were paddling away in the canoe, even before the natives on shore had clearly comprehended that their chief was being spirited off. He groaned and shrieked, without exciting the slightest compassion, and was soon lifted crop and heels on board the boat. Archie had already begun to weigh anchor, the sails were hoisted, and the wind being offshore, the boat stood out to the offing, leaving the natives lost in wonder as to what had become of their chief. "'Thank you, Gordon. You behaved admirably under the circumstances,' said Adair. I am glad of your good opinion, sir, answered Archie, but if you will allow me to say so, I think you and Desmond acted still more admirably. The crew, of course, were loud in their expressions of admiration at their officers' conduct. Now we've got him, what are we to do with him? asked Desmond. Treat him well, and send him back a wiser, if not a better man than he was, answered Adair. We'll carry him with us on board the Opal as a proof of the transaction, and perhaps after a few months' stay on board he will have learned better manners. The old chief, however, did not seem at all to approve of the change of his circumstances, and at first it was thought that he was going to give it up as a hopeless case and die of vexation. Jerry Bert, however, patted him on the back. Don't take on, old fellow, in this fashion, he said in a consoling voice. You thought you were going to play the lieutenant a trick, and like many a better man, you found you caught a tartar. What's the odds? We'll give you as much pork and biscuit as you can eat and a glass of grog to cheer you up, and you'll come all right by and by. Whether it was the words of his address, or the tone in which it was uttered, need not be discussed, but it seemed to have the effect of bringing the old chief round, and when the basin of Kettler was served out to him, he did not inquire what were the ingredients, but gobbled it up with evident gusto. He smacked his lips also, after tasting the pannikin of grog which Jerry offered him, and though he put it down again once or twice, as if doubting about the matter, he finally drained it to the dregs. "'I thought as how you'd like it,' said Jerry, patting him on the back. "'You shall have another presently, and you won't have to say that we treated you with scant hospitality. That ain't the way aboard our ship.' Adair, however, interfered and prevented the men from giving the old chief as much liquor as they were ready to bestow on him, lest he might get drunk and take it into his head to run amuck or jump overboard. He had taken enough, however, to send him fast asleep in the bottom of the boat, where he lay, as Jerry observed, like a porpoise in a gale of wind.' End of section five.